you take one home with you. So we saw Jesus being tempted by Satan, and uh, Luke decided to record three temptations that we saw. Uh, as I said, I think Jesus looked like Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam, and there was the first Adam. The first Adam was tempted, and he failed. The second Adam was tempted, and he passed the test. He overcame the temptation. The first Adam brought sin into the world. The second Adam brought life. Through the first Adam, we die. Through the second Adam, we live. That's where I should say amen. amen. When I do this, just know that's amen. Satan tempted Jesus. He failed. But Luke tells us in verse 13 of chapter 4, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So in other words, he was not done. You know, he left to come back. He said to himself, I will see you again. I will look for another opportunity. When an opportunity presents itself, I will strike. Then Luke brings two stories together because after the temptation, there is a lot that happened. But Luke chose to bring us to the event that we are focusing on this morning in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to verses 30. We are told that Jesus went to Galilee and he was preaching and teaching filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was gaining popularity. People were talking about Jesus instead of talking about their favorite TV shows or their preferred political candidates. He was trending. Everyone was following him in Galilee. And then he went to Nazareth, his hometown. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was brought up in Nazareth. And in Nazareth, people know him. They know him as a carpenter's son. They know Jesus because they saw him growing as a young boy. They know about him. He goes to Nazareth as a rabbi. He visits a synagogue. A synagogue is like a local church. There was just one temple in Jerusalem, and in the rest, uh, in the other towns, there were synagogues where Jews would come together, just like you come to a local church. There'll be the reading of scripture, explaining of the scripture. They would sing hymns and, of course, give their offerings. Jesus visits a synagogue, the Bible says, because it was his custom. 
He didn't go there because they had good music. He didn't go there because he was looking for people to love him. He didn't go there to show his latest fashion. He went there because it was his custom. He goes to this synagogue, one of their own. They see him, they are overjoyed. The synagogue leader and the elders invite him to share a message with them. Jesus is a guest preacher in this local church in Nazareth. People have flocked into this church. They want to hear him. And then he is given the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it in Isaiah 61. And he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus read that portion of the scripture and when he was done, he closed the scroll. He rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. You know what that means? When a rabbi sits down, it means whatever he's going to say is, will be said with authority. Just like when the Pope speaks from his chair, what he says has to be obeyed by his people when he speaks from his chair. When you hear that the Pope has spoken from his chair, it means what he has said has authority. This is the same thing Jesus did when he was uh, teaching the Sermon on the Mountain. He sat down. And people were amazed by his teaching because he taught with authority. So when he sits down here, everyone pays attention because they know what it means. They know that what he's going to say is something that we must take seriously. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's telling them, This prophecy is talking about me. Now, you should know that if the prophecy is talking about Jesus, then Jesus is also telling them that you are the poor. You are the oppressed. You are the blind. 
that I have come to set free, that I have come to give sight. That's what he's saying. Because he says this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And the Bible says they all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They liked his message. Then they began to say, isn't this Joseph's son? Is he not the the son of Mary and Joseph, the one that we've seen him grow? Is he not the one? In other words, what they're saying here, who does he think he is? You see, it's another thing to like a message and another thing to submit to the message. Isn't he Joseph's son? Now he's calling himself uh, whoever he's calling himself. He's calling us blind and poor, oppressed. And he's here to set us free. Whom does he think he is? And Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, Knowing what they are thinking, he responds to them. He says, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have done, what we've had that you did in Capernaum. Do a miracle. We want to see a sign we've had a lot of things about you. Do something here. Jesus is speaking their mind. He continued and said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Some of you know what this means. Some of you that have had a hard time in your families because of your faith, you know what this means. I assure you that there are many widows in there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. This is in First Kings chapter 17. Elijah was sent by the Lord. There was a farmer. He was sent to this, to this widow. Elijah went to this widow and he asked her for water. And while this widow was going to bring water, Elijah told her, and while you are at it, make some bread and bring it to me. And this widow turned to Elijah and said, as sure as the Lord lives, there is, we only have 
small enough flour and oil to just make bread for us, for me and my sons, and then die. There was no hope in that widow's house. And Elijah said, just go and make bread for me and make some for your children too. Because the Lord has sent me to you and he has said that he will continue to supply for you. And this woman went to her house and made prepared Peter for Elijah and for herself and her children. And from that day, she continued to have enough supply for each day. But listen, she had to believe what Elijah said and obey. And Jesus is telling these Jews here, yes, you want to see what God can do. You want to see wonders. You want to see miracles. You want to experience God's power. But you must believe first. And then he said, he talked about another, he gave them another example. He says in verse 27, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Naaman was a Syrian commander in 2 Kings chapter 5. God had given him a lot of victories. He had conquered many other armies. And in one of his fights, he took as a slave a young girl from Israel. Then he got leprosy. Leprosy, leprosy, because he was a leper, he was supposed to be separated from his family. And this girl who believed in God, trusted in the God of Israel, knew about his master's sickness, and he told his wife, if this master would go to Israel, to our prophet, he would be healed. You see, this girl was a slave, but because of her faith, she knew she was free. And she was concerned about her master. And when Naaman was told, he took his servants and some gifts, and he went to see Elisha the prophet. When Elisha was told, Naaman has come to see you, he has leprosy, Elisha sent one of his servants to tell Naaman to go and dip himself seven times in Jordan River. And Naaman was furious when he was told this. He said to Elisha's servant, I thought he would come out and lay his hand over me, call on God, and then I would be healed. He came to Elisha with a prescription in mind. See, this is how religious people are. 
They usually know how God is supposed to act even before he does it. His servants told him, Master, please, please, it's for your own benefit. Please, just do. We have better rivers where I come from, clean rivers. They begged him, and he agreed. And he went to River Jordan. And he dipped himself the first time. The second time, probably, he looked at himself. He thought he would be healed. I think if he was healed the second time or the third time, he would have stopped. His servants were cheering him, please, four more times, please. He said seven. And he dipped himself again and again and again until the seventh time. And when he came out, his skin was like a baby's skin. He was healed. Jesus is telling the Jews here, you want evidence of God's power. You want evidence that I am the Lord's anointed one, that I have been sent to set you free. You want evidence. You will get it. When you submit. They are not willing to. They hear this. And the Bible says. All the people. All the people who spoke well of him. All the people in the synagogue were furious. When they had this. Because Jesus is comparing them with the Gentiles and he's saying before their eyes that those Gentiles, that widow, and that Naaman were better than you. Because they believed, they submitted, and you have the same opportunity and you are refusing to believe. He has just called them poor and oppressed and blind. Now he's saying they are worse than the Gentiles. This is where someone decides to go and look for another church. I'm not staying here. They became so furious and they took Jesus out. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They want to kill him. The same people who are praising him. Let me ask you, do you think if someone else had preached that day, these people would have believed? Let me ask you another question. Do you think if Jesus was your pastor, you would be a better Christian today? Let me go back. 
Do you think if someone else had preached in that synagogue in Nazareth that Sabbath day, do you think those people would have believed? Yes. Because if you're saying yes, then you are saying Jesus was the problem. Right? If they couldn't believe when Jesus was the one preaching to them, and if you're going to preach there, you will be preaching about Jesus. So if they refused him, rejected him in person, you think they'll accept him online? And if your answer is yes, you're saying, ah, Jesus was the problem, I can preach better than him. Now let me come back to the same question I asked. Do you think you would be a better Christian today if Jesus was your pastor? Do you think you would love more and give more and, and, and share the gospel more, pray more if Jesus was your pastor? That's something you need to think about. Because when you think of it, the next question is, isn't Jesus your pastor? Isn't he the one that you claim to follow? Isn't he the one that you claim to have believed in? Is he different online? You know, one of the most, one of the biggest challenges that the church faces today is with what we call cultural Christians. A cultural Christian is a Christian who does not need to hear from God because he or she already knows what God would say. A cultural Christian is the kind of Christian that thinks and believes that she can worship God the way she wants. She can live the life of Christ in her own way, not in God's way. A cultural Christian is the one that thinks that as Christians, we don't have to do our best when it comes to God. We just can do anything we want to do. It's funny that the same cultural Christian will want to do his best at his work. But when it comes to serving the Lord, he wants to give the Lord the leftovers. That's a cultural Christian. 
if you don't take seriously the opportunity that the Lord has given you to serve him, maybe you are becoming a cultural Christian. Because if you are serving the same Lord that has gifted you, if you're serving the same Lord that has forgiven you, if you're serving the same Lord that has rescued you and opened your eyes so that you can experience the joy that comes from him, the forgiveness that he provides, you will serve him with all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and everything that you have. Because Jesus has to be the Lord of all. Let me tell you something that you may not know about me. I am here at Southside as the lead pastor and I get paid for it. But to me, that payment does not make any difference in how I serve the Lord. If I wasn't being paid, I would still preach the same way if I had the opportunity to do so. Sometimes I'm even surprised that I'm being paid. Seriously. Money is never my motivation. I do this because it's what the Lord has called me to do. And I will do it anywhere, anytime, regardless. Because I'm serving the living Lord. Because I know where Jesus took me from. I know what he has done in my life. I have experienced his power. I have experienced his grace. And there is nothing, nothing that can compare to his death on the cross where he shed his blood for my soul. Nothing can pay for that. Nothing can compare with that. If Jesus was your pastor, would you be a better Christian today? You know what Satan is doing here? Satan has failed to stop Jesus' ministry when he was tempting him because that was the goal. Now he wants to discourage him. And the best place to do that, and he will continue to do this, but the best place to do that is his own hometown. Because it's so painful when the people closest to you turn against you. He wants to discourage him so that he can quit. And Satan is doing the same to believers today. Some of the experiences that you're going through as a Christian are meant to discourage you. So you can quit. So you can give up. They're meant to discourage you so that you can stop trusting this God that you believe in. 
He wants to discourage you so that you can turn away from the faith, so that you can stop trusting in God's word, you can stop praying, you can stop relying on the Lord. Because what difference does it make? That's what he wants you to think. And if we are not careful, if we are not sensitive, we will succumb to his discouragement. And there are so many Christians. There are so many Christians that are discouraged. There are so many Christians that are blind. There are so many Christians that are oppressed. Even though Jesus has set them free. And Satan knows that he wants you to remain in bondage. So that you can miss the joy and the peace that the Lord has for you. He knows that as long as you stand firm in the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you with what he has promised you. But as long as you are discouraged, you are going to miss what the Lord has provided. That's why he wants you to remain in bondage even though he knows that Jesus has set you free. That's why we have Christians that are still in bondage. We have Christians that are still held captive in unforgiveness. Satan knows that if you forgive, you will be free. And for him to keep you there, to keep you in bondage, he will help you to find as many reasons as you can not to forgive. And you will convince yourself that that person does not deserve my forgiveness, but you will be the one suffering from it. We have Christians that are dying in bitterness. See, bitterness is like heartburn. It's very uncomfortable, but you can learn to live with it. You can learn to suppress it. But it's very unhealthy for a Christian because as long as there is bitterness in your life, you will not have peace. You will not have joy. And the enemy uses that because he knows he has already lost you. He knows that he cannot have you and control you the way he wants. So he wants to use every opportunity that comes to discourage you. Because if he can discourage you, he can make you ineffective. And we are falling for that. Now Jesus presents himself here to these Jews and he tells them, I am the anointed one of the Lord. I have come to set you free. You are in bondage. You may not know it, but you are. But hey, praise the Lord, I am here. You expect these Jews to say, thank you, God. You have thought of us. You've given us an opportunity. We can't. 
Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus has the power to come into our lives and give us the peace that we need. Only Jesus can come into a life that is hopeless and bring hope. Only Jesus can set us free. And in every discouragement that you face in your life, Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus every day. Because only Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus can bring to your life the encouragement that you need. Victoria and your family the enemy will want to use this moment because he's looking for an opportunity. The enemy is usually right there at your door. He's just waiting for you to open it. And he sees an opportunity, he comes in because he wants to discourage you. He knows you belong to God, but he will want to discourage you. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Turn to the Lord. You and I have no power to resist the enemy, but the Lord has power. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves to the Lord. We resist him by humbling ourselves to the Lord. By choosing the one who is able to overcome. Choose Jesus. There's a conflict in your marriage. Choose Jesus. He will remind you what you need to do. He will tell you. Sometimes he will confront you. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll tell you you are the problem. You need to deal with that anger and that critical attitude. He has confronted me so many times. Sometimes I don't like the way he does it. But I know he means well. Choose Jesus. If you are listening to this and Jesus is not yet your Savior, you have a chance to choose him so that he 